What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam, podcast fam? Welcome to first edition of the Week 9 DFS Lab. I am your host, JM to win from OneWeekSeason.com. Joining me in a moment will be KTM128 Keegan. We will be building a roster together as a tool for us to start, start talking through the slate and then also talk through roster construction, how we like to approach a DFS slate, how we like to find unique ways to put the puzzle together in order to maximize our paths to a first place finish. Very unique week nine slate. So really excited to dive into this one. With that, let's get started. One week season. Yo, 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 Keegan. So we were talking before the show. Interesting, uh, interesting week eight for you. Very, yeah, very interesting. Um, what I was telling JM was uh, I did a like a reserve mass entry contest and um, I imported all of my lineups over to DraftKings and then I had like five minutes left and I just didn't know how to how to like transfer the imported lineups into the reserved uh, entries and so which I is was, funny which is funny because we have a video that you and I did showing people how to do that. Um, <laughs> Obviously, less funny when you just ch chuck away money on entry. <laughs> yeah, you don't I was get a lineup in there. So frustrated. Yeah, it's yeah. like four hours, five hours. Yeah, before you put in the work, built the rosters, uh, and then also had some had some good builds that uh, you would have made a nice little dent in the slate. But yeah, we roll forward. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna find I'll find the video for you so that you can pinpoint exactly where it is. One of our old DFS labs, uh, and then also on our show that we record tomorrow, Friday, that goes live Friday night or Saturday morning. I'll let you guys, the viewers, the listeners know which video that was. But uh, yeah, we do have a video that shows exactly how to import uh, rosters from an optimizer into your reserved entry. So uh, this next week, Keegan, you'll be able to take full advantage of that. Uh, we also were talking before the show, uh, you were quite surprised that I didn't have a monster weekend in week eight. I was quite surprised as well. Sam Howell was my highest owned quarterback. Alvin Kamara, highest owned running back. AJ Brown, highest owned wide receiver. George Kill, highest owned tight end. Um, just a weird week. One of those weird weeks where things just didn't uh, fall into place for me. So, um, no, I, I, what I was telling you before the show, what I was telling Keegan before the show was it was, I don't typically, you know, I've been doing this for 10 years and I'm also a pretty even keeled person. So I don't typically ride the emotions of a DFS slate. Um, I don't get too thrilled with wins. I don't get too down with losses. So this is only the second week this season where I like my mood changed on Sunday based on what was going on in my DFS rosters in my DFS play. And um, I think it was just a frustration of like, wait, how is this not coming together? I, I feel like I got everything right. And uh, once I, once the slate ended, I was able to kind of zoom out and look at things. And I went through a bunch of my rosters and was like, Oh, I, I really didn't make mistakes. I was overweight the field. CD lamb. I was overweight the field. Jahan Dotson. I was overweight the field. Rashid Shahid. Um, gave myself that opportunity for, you know, my core being Howell, Kamara, uh, Brees Hall, uh, AJ Brown, George Kittle. That was kind of my core. So I gave an opportunity for those players to be mixed and matched across a bunch of rosters and for these shots on guys like Dotson, CD Lamb, and Rashid Shahid to line up on the right roster. And it just didn't happen. So uh, one of those weeks where once I was able to let the slate cool off, it was like, oh, this is actually like a better week of play than even some of my big weeks this season. It just didn't work out. So those are the breaks in DFS. That is also, if you're watching this, listening to this, a pretty critical component of DFS play is being able to assess. Like I've had 
I had one week this year where I finished uh, second place in a large field high dollar tournament. And it was kind of like, oh, this wasn't actually that great of a week of play. Uh, had one roster. I mean, I had several rosters that did well, but like I missed a lot of things on that week and ended up getting one right roster into one right contest and made a bunch of money. But when I zoomed out, I was able to say, oh, this wasn't really my best week. Whereas this last week, I was able to zoom out and say, man, this is this might have been my best week of the season, or at least one of my top two or three weeks of the season. And it just didn't happen for me. So um, valuable yeah. to be able to do that because then you can make your decisions moving forward based off of your play rather than the results. Uh, Keegan, any thoughts on that? Yeah. And, um, you know, you mentioned emotions. Uh, definitely. I, I feel like if you play better, almost your emotions will heighten and come out a lot more than if you were to play worse. Um, because you're just like, wow. And, and if you're not winning, at least you're like, wow, I just, I don't think I messed up anywhere and I'm still not winning. And it's so, it's just frustrating. Cause you're like, man, this could have been a great week. And I would have been really, that's happy. a good point. Yeah. Like if you, if you have, if you, if you are losing on Sunday and then you're like, Oh, you know what? I really didn't put in the work this week or probably yeah. didn't do a good job. It's easier to be like, Oh, I just had a bad week. Uh, whereas if you're, you know, what was one of my, one of my most frustrating weeks ever was actually the week that I won the Wildcat, which is a $200,000 payout. And it was such a frustrating week because I'd had like a stretch of weeks where things just weren't working out for me. And on that particular week, it looked like, like I had this roster that was doing phenomenally and looked like it was going to finish first place. And then things started like breaking against me. And I was like texting Xanamir, just like WTF, how did this <laughs> keep happening to me? Like, this yeah. is all like every week things are just falling apart for me. And then like, and I was getting more and more upset. Uh, it was like a Thanksgiving, the weekend before Thanksgiving, uh, the family was going to bend and like Abby had already left with William and my sister and my brother-in-law for, for bend. And so I was like at the, at the old townhouse by myself. And I was just like pacing around that upstairs, like what is going on? <laughs> and then it was like the last five minutes, things broke back in my favor and ended up winning. And it was like, Oh, well that was some wasted energy on <laughs> about like one of my big anxiety. Um, but yeah, you're right. When you're, when you're playing well and things don't break your way, then it's even more, frustrating and it's harder to it's harder to zoom out in the midst of it and like I don't get much sleep I, you know I get like an hour and a half of sleep before games kick off and then still want to be around the family on Sunday so I'm like tired and the kids are wanting to play and I'm like keeping an eye on my rosters and it's just like nothing's working out <laughs> it's just like come on uh yeah once it ends you can kind of step back zoom out and be like oh, okay well how did I play I played well uh and I can carry that moving forward so yeah um all of that is really valuable stuff, reflection stuff. We actually have a reflection channel in our Discord. If you're kind of newer to OWS, uh, but you like kind of the community, you like the vibes that you've seen, check out the Discord because we've been doing, if, if you're new here, basically what OWS focuses on, obviously every week we're doing a ton of research. We have a lot of the sharpest people in the industry in terms of breaking down the game, doing research, finding who the, who the good plays are in the slate. But you can subscribe to any... DFS content site, and they're going to do a pretty good job of finding who the best plays are on the slate. But the other piece of the puzzle that we focus heavily on is uh, DFS training and really helping you to understand how to be a good DFS player, what good DFS rosters look like, what the strategy of DFS is. And because we've been around since 2018 and we have this really loyal, dedicated user base, we have a, a ton of really sharp DFS players in our community. So uh, the Discord is a super valuable place to hang out, ask questions, uh, even just read other people's reflections in the reflection channel on the Discord. Uh, and then if you are an inner circle member, obviously, then this is the sort of stuff we focus on all the time is how to um, 
how to sort of roll over from one week to the next, how to continue to improve your play, how to find holes in your play, uh, and how to maximize your chances of those first place finishes. Um, speaking of first place finishes, interesting week, Keegan, coming up. Only we're coming off a weird, first off, weird mid-season 13 game slate. We never have that. Now back to a 10 game slate, which is pretty normal. But uh, the quarterbacks who are on by or playing off the main slate is like almost all the top quarterbacks. And then we have among like the uh, elite quarterbacks and some fringe quarterbacks, there's a ton of injuries. Yeah. So it looks like we could have eight backup quarterbacks out of 20 total quarterbacks on this slate uh, between benchings and injuries. Uh, and then you've got guys like Mac Jones and Daniel Jones are two of the non backups. <laughs> so that's another two guys, right? So that leaves you with 10 guys. And you've got sort of the fringe guys in Derek Carr and Baker Mayfield. And uh, yeah, so it just becomes a really interesting slate where there's like really what Dak Prescott's not even a superstar quarterback, but he's yeah. capable of putting up superstar type numbers. Uh, you've got Lamar Jackson, you've got Jalen Hurts. Uh, you got Dak Prescott, CJ Stroud and Geno Smith. Well, like CJ Stroud's not quite a, a like fantasy superstar yet. Geno Smith is certainly not a fantasy superstar. Um, long time backup now, cool story starter. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the shape of the slate is like, it's, yeah. I mean, it's really thin at the quarterback position, which isn't so much about quarterback as it is about like offensive scoring capability. Uh, then on top of that, so this was interesting, Keegan, I put this in the angles email this morning, but uh 13 of the offenses on this slate, 13 of the 20 offenses rank in the bottom half of the NFL in DVOA on offense. Uh, DVOA being an advanced metric that kind of tries to take context for everything and really rank um, offenses and defenses based on where they really stand as opposed to just the results and, and what the context was. Uh, so basically 13 of the bottom 16 teams in offensive DVOA are on this slate. And then of the other seven teams, uh, two of them are going to have backups probably with with Brett Rippon likely starting for the Rams and Jaron Hall starting for the Minnesota Vikings so those are another two offenses that are kind of thrown out so of the remaining five that rank in the top half of the NFL in DVOA all of them are facing a defense that ranks in the top half of the NFL in DVOA so it's like everything gets really condensed on this slate because it's hard for any one thing to really pull away I see this slate then, the story of this slate being like, who are the players who can separate from the pack? Who are the teams that can separate from the packs? What are the games that can separate from the pack? Um, so, yeah, let me throw it over to you. What have you been seeing as you kind of early dig through this slate? Um, I think this this week's going to be chalky. Um, although you don't, you, like you say, you don't like to use um, projections too early. But um, like you said, it's a, it's a weird week, and I think it's going to be chalky. I do want to – maybe dive in today on the uh, Cowboys Eagles game. I was thinking maybe we could do it tomorrow, but I, I am more interested in it today. I want to see, um, just talk about it, honestly. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, you've got, well, I just walked through all that stuff, right? All these backup quarterbacks and bad offenses. And, and then, then you've got these five offenses that rank in the top half of the NFL in offensive DVOA, and they don't have good matchups, but, four of those five offenses are playing each other. Actually, that's not true because Dallas doesn't rank the top half of the NFL in DVOA, but four of the top five quarterbacks that we laid out are playing against each other. So Dallas and Philadelphia are playing against each other. Seattle and Baltimore are playing against each other. So when we're looking for what are the games that could separate, those games should stand out to us and probably will stand out to the field. I don't think those games will go totally overlooked, but uh, when you can, you know, it's easy then to also be like, yeah, but 
the Ravens have a really good defense. The you can't run on the Seahawks. You can't pass to the perimeter on the Seahawks. Like, how do you move the ball against Seahawks? And then same thing on the other side. Like, well, if you know Philadelphia's got this great run defense, and um, they're not excellent in the secondary this year, but they're good enough. And Dallas likes to run the ball, and then Dallas has this great defense. So it's easy to sort of be like, well, these games might disappoint, and they might, but so might all the other games on the slate. So if we're looking for the players who could separate, the teams that can separate, the games that can separate, uh, Dallas, Philadelphia, definitely one of the games that can separate. Um, what are you kind of seeing as you as you look at that game that's standing out to you? Oh, well, before we even go into there, I wanted to talk about the – this is completely off topic, but, I mean, it's just like player – Everything's on topic. <laughs> I guess, yeah. Um, Adam Thielen, man, 7,500. He's uh, is he really? Yeah. Uh, this is kind of a weird week for me in that. Wow, he is. Um, it's kind of a weird week for me in that you know usually I fly to Oakland on Tuesday to reserve my entries. Tuesday was Halloween, so I stayed home that day. Flew yesterday. Uh, it's kind of put me not I wouldn't say a day behind on the week, but like a half day behind on the week. So yeah, typically by this point I would know off the top of my head everybody's pricing. But um, it's funny. I was actually yesterday I was kind of thinking through Adam Thielen. And uh, and wasn't registering what his price tag is, but yeah, Adam feeling seventy five hundred. Unfortunately, it, it's like it finally it finally caught up to his target and usage um, with the price. They now correlate pretty well. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I wouldn't say that he becomes unplayable, but he becomes like less standout because there's going to be 30 point scores across the slate and he's going to have a hard time putting up a, like CD lamb put up 44 last week. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, AJ Brown put up 36 and he has a 41 pointer on his ledger this year. Uh, Devonte Adams obviously has been massively underwhelming, but he has a 45 pointer on his ledger this year. Uh, Cooper cup. We know that he can put up 35 to 40 points. And then, you know, Thielen has that 34 pointer that was with Andy Dalton in a game where Dalton threw 57 passes, I believe it was. Uh, and then he has a couple 30 pointers around that. So yeah, kind of harder for him to be that had to have it piece. He could still put up a 30 pointer, but that's basically what you need at his price tag. Yeah. Uh, not to say that I'm cutting him off my list because it is going to be kind of a thin week, but yeah, that, that becomes a pretty interesting one. He does also like just restrict that um, roster salary that you have He's much more restrictive now than, you know, the past five weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you who's not restrictive. <clears throat> Miles Sanders, who's 4,500. Um, and nobody's going to play him. And I'm not saying he's a sharp play, but I will throw this out there that uh, Frank Reich was asked this week about Miles Sanders' lack of usage. Uh, Miles Sanders' two rush attempts last week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Frank Reich was talking about how, like, sometimes players go through funks, and he said, like, they can last two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and he's like, if you're a player, I mean, we know this as DFS players, uh, said if you're a player, you know, three weeks, four weeks can feel like an eternity but it's really not. He said, and then these things turn around and all of a sudden these good players start playing really well again. And uh, he also mentioned that they've had some matchups lately where they preferred Chuba Hubbard's downhill style over Miles Sanders style. So not to say that Miles Sanders is going to see a bunch of work this week, but he's one of those guys that I'm going to be looking at like on a slate where there's not a lot that separates. I'm going to be looking at little things like that where it's like um, where it's not just like, oh, let me throw something at the wall and hope it sticks. But there's there's viable reasons to think that Miles Sanders will eventually have a game where he sees another 15 to 20 touches. Uh, and if that happens, then he's the guy that nobody's on and he has that type of ceiling. Uh, Jonathan Taylor also um, lots of lots of 
I mean, I had Jonathan Taylor on some rosters last week and he had 95 rushing yards, I think at, ha at halftime. And I'm like, okay, chalk that up. Jonathan Taylor gets the rushing bonus. And then he didn't. And um, so Shane Steichen. He's not, he's not a snap count anymore, is he? No, no. Um, yeah. They're still kind of splitting things with Zach Moss. And if we look at this, like this last week, uh, Jonathan Taylor had 11 carries and Zach Moss had uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor, 12 carries, Zach Moss had 11 the week before they both had 18. So they're still kind of in this split backfield. Um, mm -hmm. but it was this last week, Jonathan Taylor had this big first half. And then the second half, it was like the first drive, they had some penalties and like a sack. And so they just kept being in like second and long, third and long situations. So Jonathan Taylor didn't get the touches there. Uh, and then I think it was the next drive. They had a turnover and then, uh, or the next drive was like Zach Moss was on the field. And the next drive they had a turnover. And so Shane Steichen was just saying like, the game just kind of got away. And then they were behind in the fourth quarter. So the game just kind of got away from him being able to use Jonathan Taylor. But he was asked like by multiple reporters in multiple press conferences about Jonathan Taylor's usage. And then Jim Bob Cooter, not a joke name, real name, uh, Indianapolis offensive coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, several years ago, could have gotten a head coaching gig if he had a, a different name. He was an ascending offensive coordinator when he was at the Lions. And, uh, and then it's hard to introduce Jim Bob Cooter as your, as your head coach. He's a serious um, candidate. Serious candidate. Um, uh, Jim Bob Cooter had a press conference this week and they were then asking him about Jonathan Taylor's usage. And he actually said, um, and cause this does actually happen. And, and Jim Bob said, you know, sometimes like you guys ask this question, like a bunch about a player and then you end up seeing like the next week, they end up getting a bunch more usage. And the reporter said, so you listen to us and then give them more usage. <laughs> and, um, but that is sort of what happens, right? Like they ask about it so much that it plants it in your head. Realistically, a Carolina team that faces the highest opponent rush play rate in the NFL, they just tilt opponents toward the ground. Even if Jonathan Taylor and Zach Moss are splitting carries, we could see Jonathan Taylor get 18 to 21 touches this week. And it wouldn't surprise me if he sees a few more carries than Zach Moss. So, um, what? Yeah, there's some interesting things like that where it's like, and I, I would guess that Jonathan Taylor ends up being popular this week, but some interesting things like that where it's like on paper, it might not really pop, but there's some interesting components uh, to where we could potentially find some sneaky plays, especially at the running back position where it's a, you know pretty thin this week. And um, you got you to gotta imagine that people are going to go to Kenneth Walker because they always do. The people are going to go to Tony Pollard because they always do. The people are going to go to Josh Jacobs because they always do. Um, so that might give us an opportunity to find some some edge that other people aren't hunting down. What are your thoughts on Imari DiMarcato this week? Um, no nice. real thoughts. I mean, I you know, we're to me, I'm hunting down tournament winning scores, right? So any anytime I take on a player who can't get me 25 to 30 points, I better have a good reason for doing that. And um, you've got him up on your screen. I mean, we see this though. It's like so 20 carries last week, great, but. 8.9 points, 11.5 points, 2.7, 12.7, uh, playing against this Browns defense. That's not a spot that I would expect to be going because I'm um, sure he's a cheaper guy, but but if he's at this price, I don't need 30 points, but I need at least 18 to 20, and I need like an outside shot at a 30-pointer. Like Miles Sanders probably doesn't get you 30, but you could drop the scenario in which he does, where it's, it's harder to – drop the scenario in which Amari DiMarcado gets you 30 points. Um, and maybe that answers the question on Miles Sanders, yeah. like not really that sharp, right? He's overlooked, but also not really that sharp. Um, here's one for you. That's interesting. Rashad white plus Baker Mayfield, uh, you know, whites used so much in the passing game. 
Rashad White plus Baker Mayfield has actually combined for like 170 to 200 point pace, uh, four out of six games. And um, probably ends up being a low scoring game here. You know, Houston has this good offense. Tampa has a, a pretty solid offense, but neither team is typically able to convert that into high scoring games. And then both defenses are typically able to have kind of lower scoring games. So uh, probably not like super high ceiling type setup. I mean, like Tampa's last games, 18 to 24, 13 to 16, 6 to 20, 26, 9, 11 to 25. And Houston's games are kind of the same type of, of rundown. So it's not like, it's not like they're going to combine for like a 270 point pace, but they're kind of a nice, interesting pairing that you can grab some floor between those two. Uh, Cause I was thinking about like Baker Mayfield is pretty interesting. You know, he's yeah. one of these, like he's one of the top 10 quarterbacks on the slate pretty easily in terms of just talent and ability. Uh, and that's not typically the case, uh, but he's one of the top 10 quarterbacks on this particular slate. And He's cheap and there could be a lot of landmines on the slate. So just kind of taking like a solid set of points is, is really nice. But then it was like, man, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans are so expensive that it's hard for them to really pay off their price tags in this offense, in this type of game environment. So kind of poking around and then I was like, Oh man, Rashad white plus Baker actually makes a decent amount of sense. So yeah, yeah there's yeah. one like interesting things that we can play around with on this slate. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have like two separate takes. Um, on that topic, I don't, this is definitely a personal opinion from a casual. I don't think CJ Stroud is going to be as popular just because of his past two games that he's had with the, um, what has he had? Like 150 passing yards in the last game. And then like somewhere near that on the, uh, where, where is his yards at? Yeah. One, 140 and one fit 199 in his yeah. last two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. I don't think he's going to be as popular um, as he would be. Like said, he did, did like better last week. Um, although I could totally be off on that. No, I mean, I would love that. Yeah, it's, it's one of those where, um, you know, we'll have a much better sense by tomorrow morning of, of ownership expectations. Yeah. And even that, like Friday morning ownership can change pretty dramatically by Saturday night. But the it's one of those where it's like, it's going to be hard to get a super good feel for where, the chalk is going to go because everything is so clumped up. So it almost comes down to like, like realistically the Dallas Philadelphia game and the Baltimore Seattle game should be popular because what other games can end up being like 35 to 31 type games and not to say that those will become those types of games, but they have that ability. They have that opportunity and most other games on this slate don't. So those should become popular. I don't know that they will, but then outside of that, everything is so clumped up that it almost just comes down to like, what is ETR talking about? What do the projection systems say? And it'll be like, Oh, this player is projected marginally higher than these other ones. And yet that ends up being super chalk, right? Because it's just like, everybody starts talking about that player, that situation. So CJ Stroud, I could see him falling into the bucket of everyone starts talking about him. So he becomes popular or the bucket of like, nobody's talking about him until he just goes super overlooked uh, you know, last week, speaking of that matchup against Carolina, right, we said highest opponent rush play rate. When teams face Carolina, they bias toward the ground. Yeah. Uh, only 24 pass attempts for C.J. Stroud last week. I kept saying last week that I expected him to be in that, like, 27 to 30 pass attempt range. Mm-hmm. I expected Nico and Noah Brown and Tank Dell to see four to six targets apiece, which is what they all did. Uh, C.J. Stroud only 24 pass attempts last week. But that's very much a matchup type situation, right, where – when you're playing against Tampa Bay, 
Uh, in fact, let me check uh, opponent pass play rating in Tampa Bay. But typically, uh, teams against Tampa Bay end up throwing the ball at a much higher rate than normal. Right now, uh, teams throw the ball against Tampa Bay at the eighth highest rate in the NFL. Teams throw the ball against Carolina, again, at the lowest rate in the NFL. So uh, when we see those shifts like that, a lot of times your game plan is going to be dependent on what the defense presents to you and what's the best way to attack them. And so when you're facing Tampa, the best way to attack them is and, and Vita Vea missed last week's game, so that, that'll make a difference in how tough of a run matchup this is. But if Vita Vea is healthy in the middle for this uh, Tampa Bay defense and Houston already can't run the ball, well, they're going to bias toward the pass. So, yeah, I think C.J. Stroud is definitely an interesting – I mean, that, that whole game is kind of interesting to me this week. Like I said, uh, I went through the, the Tampa scores. Let's go through the Houston recent Houston scores real quickly. 13-15, to 20-13, to 19-21. 19-21. Then you have these two higher-scoring ones, 30-6, 37-17. Um, but yeah, it's like these te- these two teams don't tend to produce high scoring game environments, but there is potential with both of these teams for sure. Sweet. Um, my second question or take take could we could we um, possibly fit both wide receiver ones from the Cowboys Eagles game and Alvin Kamara? It's it's very expensive. But I feel like that would be a crazy roster to build. Let's find out. Um, when I say that I'm behind on the week, like a half day behind, I have two practice rosters built so far. And typically by this point, I would have like 12 to 15. So, um, so yeah, I don't actually know if like what that would look like, but I think it's worth finding out. And if we're going to do it, we end up either going with, a cheap, um, like a cheap stack, or we go with Dak Prescott in here. I would love to be able to go with Dak Prescott in here because if if Ceedee Lamb's hitting at his price tag, Dak's probably hitting at his. You, speaking of teams that force you to throw the ball, we talked about this last week. Philadelphia opponents are throwing the ball at a seventy-one percent clip. Uh, let's see who has the highest pass play rate in the NFL, uh, it's going to be below 71%. Washington has the highest pass play rate in the NFL at 68.7%. And yet the average opponent against Philadelphia throws the ball at a 71% clip. So the average opponent against Philadelphia would basically rank as the highest pass attempt rate in the NFL because you can't run against this Philadelphia defense. So uh, very interesting spot where we know that Dallas is pretty hard headed about trying to run the ball and establish things that way. But if we're talking about game environment and how teams try to win games, well, two things. Uh, one of the reasons I ended up getting, you know, I played CD lamb once or twice in the last two years because of how much the Cowboys want to run the ball. And one of those times was last week. And the reason why I started getting on CD lamb last week was the Rams offense is explosive and has been able to put up points. So a lot of times you'll see an offense proactively be more aggressive when they have the ball, recognizing that they'll need to score a lot of points in that particular game. They can't chess match their way quite as much. And so I expect the Cowboys to be a little bit more aggressive through the air. Similar type of setup here where it's not like they're going to say, hey, we're going to shut down Philadelphia and we'll just slow this game down and win that way. So you have that opportunity for them to come out more aggressively, throw the ball a lot. uh, And that would be an opportunity for CeeDee Lamb plus Dak Prescott to uh, have a really nice game. So Let's throw Dak into this roster as well. 
And then we can go to uh, defense to see where we can start saving salary. And I'm pretty sure, uh, yeah, we can go all the way down at defense because uh, the Giants, Wink Martindale's Giants defense that has been lights out lately. Uh, they put up, you know, well, they, they only put up five defense special teams points against Buffalo, but they put up 12 against Miami. They only allowed Buffalo to score 14 points. Washington's offense, people are still not listening to me on this, but we saw it again last week. Washington's offense is capable of being really good. They held them to seven points. They held the Jets, you know, no, no prize for holding the Jets to 13 points. But when your quarterback is going for negative seven yards or negative nine yards, you're still holding your opponent to 13 points. That's pretty impressive. Um, Giants, I mean, Giants are going to be popular this week, realistically. Aiden O'Connell starting for the Raiders. Josh McDaniels fired. Uh, probably actually see the Raiders come out and, and play better this week because of all of that. But, um, yeah, we can save some salary. We're going to have a unique roster, so we don't have to worry about the ownership on the Giants here because who else is able to fit in Dak and CeeDee Lamb and A.J. Brown and Alvin Kamara? Um, next question is going to be where we can save money at wide receiver because we don't want to just take, like, the super cheap running back. So there are a couple options that stand out to me off the top of my head. Uh, Noah Brown is the first one. Noah Brown, uh, we can actually pull up uh, pull up Tank Dell first, um, and we can look at Tank Dell's targets last week, and then we can and then we can look at Nico Collins' targets last week, and then we can look at Noah Brown. So we see that Tank Dell had four targets last week, uh, and then we will see that Nico Collins had, I believe, he had six targets last week nico collins had six targets last week uh and then we will see that noah brown had i believe it was five targets last week so when you look at this houston offense and we're saying hey this houston offense is uh interesting and they're you know uh, capable of scoring a lot of points and um basically noah brown like we don't know noah brown's talent because this is his first time getting a chance to start but let's keep in mind that he started over tank dell at the start of the season Tank Dell got the starting job because Noah Brown was hurt. We literally still don't know who the number three receiver on this team is. Well, the number two receiver, uh, Robert Woods, is the number two, but he's he's on the field for a veteran presence and blocking and all that. Um, but Robert Woods, when he comes back, he's going to be playing. We still don't know if it's going to be Noah Brown or Tank Dell getting more snaps. Um, everyone's going to be looking to these higher-priced guys, Nico Collins and Tank Dell. Noah Brown has a bigger role in the offense than a 3,100 player. And again, C.J. Stroud. 24 pass attempts last week. This week, it should be more like 35 pass attempts. And so then what does Noah Brown's targets do? They go up to maybe that six, seven, eight target range. So uh, this is definitely the first most attractive place to pay all the way down. Uh, and, and on a roster like this, it starts to show us how a roster like this could actually come together. Um, next most attractive place is probably Demario Douglas, who... Um, Entered last week in the top 20 in the NFL in yards per route run. Uh, and now we've got Kendrick Bourne out with an ACL tear. We've got um, Devontae Parker's out this week. And so with a concussion. So Demario Douglas, who was kind of seeing about half of the team snaps, is going to see basically all the team snaps now. You look, it was, I believe it was seven targets last yeah, week. Yeah, that was crazy. Seven targets. Seven targets last week, um, six targets the week before. When he's on the field, they've been scheming him up looks. And now he's not only going to be on the field, but he's going to be on the field a lot. And in a matchup where you can attack through the air against this Washington defense. Um, so Demario Douglas, you know, pretty sharp, pretty sharp play this week. Not going to go overlooked, but again, we don't have to worry about that because we have such a unique roster construction right here. And uh, maybe, so there's some, some other interesting guys down here. There's um 
Wondell Robinson in a, in a not great matchup, but with, um, with Darren Waller out this week. So they got to throw the ball to somebody. Um, there's Mac Hollins and Kaderil Hodge with Drake London, probably missing this week. Uh, Odell Beckham. So Odell Beckham, this is pretty interesting. Uh, two weeks ago, he had seven targets. Two weeks ago, Mark Andrews had six targets and Zay Flowers had six targets. Yeah, 10 oh, targets. Oh, two weeks ago, I'm showing seven on my end. Oh, oh, oh you're looking at, there we go. I was, yeah, I was like, Lance, not getting logged. Yep. Uh, and then last week, it only shows four targets, but he actually had three targets where there was defensive pass interference. So none of those show up in the box score. Um, so he picked up all those yards for the defensive pass interference, but those were actually seven targets again last week, seven plays that went to him and three of those plays got wiped out by penalty. So um, seven targets back-to-back weeks. And then he was really upset after the game about like his lack of usage and his lack of production in this offense. So in a game that should be high scoring or not, not should be high scoring, but should be aggressive from both sides of the ball should be competitive. Um, Odell Beckham becomes interesting, assuming he's able to play this week. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of guys down here. And then Elijah Moore, just like advanced metrics. He is one of the most underpriced players on the slate. There does come a point where you say, um, well, the advanced metrics are not lining up with the production. So you kind of have to separate the two, but, uh, he does remain an underpriced player as well. So there's a lot of different ways that we could go in terms of saving this last little bit of salary and then still getting a solid running back um on this roster um yeah honestly with all those guys i think we should just base it on game environment at that point because I mean, they, they're all getting around relatively the same amount of targets so yeah that's true and another thing that we could do is we could base it on what running back we want to fit on our roster yeah. um in other words we could see because realistically if we if we if we get one of these 3,800 guys, we're going to have 5,400 for running back, which isn't like quite enough. Um, you know, that gives us Ramondre Stevenson. Well, it gives us Jerome Ford. It gives us Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, it gives us Daryl Henderson. We're kind of in that range. I would love to be able to get up to the Jonathan Taylor range, but I guess that's not possible here, is it? Jonathan Taylor range would then put us at, um, oh, we're looking at wide receivers here. And we've got tight end as our last position left on this roster. So that almost answers it for us because we can go, Jonathan Taylor and then go with like a 2,800 um, tight end such as Tommy Tremble, who is the, has been the lead tight end over Hayden Hurst recently. Uh, sounds like that's going to continue. Not great target numbers, three and two in his last two games, um, but he's using the red zone. So that's an interesting option. Um, Mike Kosicki is going to be on the field. Uh, Michael Mayer, Bombed last week, but is going to be on the field. So, yeah, I mean, there's some guys down here. So we can go Jonathan Taylor and go with uh, one of these cheap tight ends. Or if we feel really strongly about one of these tight ends who's more in like the um, the high 3Ks, then we could go to one of those guys and go to one of the more middling running backs. But I would actually say I that – I mean, 2,600, 8.4 points is four times his salary, so – yeah, but I mean, that's with a touchdown. So if you don't get a touchdown, you know, you're in a totally yeah. different. Yeah, what, three targets or something? Yeah, three yeah. targets. So uh, <laughs> got to get the touchdown. Yeah, he's got to get the touchdown, man. <laughs> four yards. It's three catches. Hey, it's four possible. Catches for four it's yards. Possible. Um, but but the, what we ask here is then like Jonathan Taylor plus 
this cheap tight end versus Logan Thomas and Daryl Henderson or Logan Thomas and Jerome Ford. Um, Jerome Ford probably gets you 15 to 20. Daryl Henderson gets you 13 to 18. Uh, so then the question is, does Jonathan Taylor get you 30 plus points? If he does, that probably ends up being the more valuable way to go. But yeah, you can kind of break it down and go either direction there. Yeah, I like it. I like um, the higher upside with Jonathan Taylor. So let's do it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, and again, this is not, this is Thursday. This is not building a roster for you, the viewer or listener to use. This is not building a roster saying this is what we're doing. It's giving ourselves an opportunity to work through the slate and ask questions and poke around on things because that's how we start finding answers. And uh, again, I've mentioned this before, but what, one of the things I'm always looking for is who are the players who actually make a lot of sense on paper and I'm kind of like scared to play them because I'm like, oh yeah, it's just so obvious, but what if this happens and they fail in this way? Or what if this happens and they fail in this way? Those tend to be the players that I actually want to pull the trigger on because I'm scared to play them even though they're obviously good plays. Uh, and then on the flip side, the guys who I'm having to come up with reasons why they could be a good play tend to be the guys who are not actually that great of plays or the guys who I'm like, oh, I got to play this guy because what if he has a big game and I miss out on it? Those tend to be the guys that I actually want to be fading. So working through a roster and asking these questions, it starts to help you see like, you know, Keegan asked, can we build a roster that looks like this? Well, this might not be exactly what our roster that looks like this looks like but it gives us an idea of what a roster like this might look like. And then we can kind of keep pushing around pieces and building it in different ways and seeing what different ways you can attack a roster like this. Uh, and it kind of starts helping you to find your answers on different players, on different roster constructions, on different pairings. Um, and so, yeah, finding, finding your path forward to the, the clearest path to first place. A lot of it starts through building these practice rosters, asking these questions, working through things. Um, so yeah, probably this probably isn't a roster that I would, just like stamp in place and like, Oh man, this one's something I'm rolling into everything. But it like, it yeah. gives you that starting point of being like pretty interesting that you can get Dak Camara, Jonathan Taylor, CD lamb, AJ Brown, all on a roster together. And then Noah Brown and, and Demario Douglas are clearly sharp plays. The giants defense is clearly a sharp play. So um, yeah, I mean, we're not really giving anything away by building a roster like this. So then you can start asking like, well, what about if we move down from Camara and, you know, get like a 5k running back. And then what does that do for our salary? Can we get like a really nice tight end or a really nice player at a different position? Um, you kind of start pushing around pieces on a roster like this and uh, throw in a handful of rosters with this type of salary construction uh, that that kind of give you that path to a really nice game. You know, another way to do this would be Michael Gallup is still cheap. So you could go Gallup to have the double stack. Gallup is 3,600. So um, you could go gallop over to Mario Douglas and then you've got the double stack with Dak Prescott really bet on this game environment taking off. Uh, then that frees up, you know, you can get up to 3,400 at tight end, which can get you up to like a Kyle Pitts or something like that. Um, obviously Demario Douglas a better on paper play than Gallup, but Gallup fits into this thesis of this being the game environment that you had to have. So um, that's another way to attack this roster that, that makes a lot of sense on paper because uh oh 3200 not 3400 um so yeah not not quite up yeah i mean you got and and that's another thing too with the backup quarterbacks this week i don't want to just totally like hawkinson they dropped his price because kirk cousins is out hawkins is only 5200 and you realize well like there's still a pass-based offense 
they're going to try to run the ball, but they're not good at running the ball. And if you're throwing it, you're probably going to throw a lot of short area targets to TJ Hawkinson. Uh, so Hawkinson at 5,200, or let's say Brett Rippon is starting. Well, Brett Rippon is going to throw the ball probably to Higby a little bit more than Matthew Stafford would. So yeah, there are some interesting components that we can play around with on this slate in terms of understanding what it means for this backup quarterback stepping in and, and um, how we might, might want to construct our rosters as a result of that. Uh, Keegan, any other thoughts to add to this roster or to this discussion? Um, yeah, I just, I think building interesting rosters like these, like these are, when I first started playing DFS, this is kind of how I did it. I would try and start out at a point where I could do, what could I fit on a roster? Um, like most expensive and then try and get some really cheap guys that still made sense on there. And then, um, like you said, move it around, moving it around really, um, gives you a sense of the, of like the week, uh, in itself. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the, the reality is that sometimes, you know, Nico Collins is 5,800. He has a 30 pointer this season and 38 pointer this season. DJ Moore is 5,900. He has a 30 pointer and a 52 pointer this season, obviously with Justin Fields, uh, under center, but, uh, Amari Cooper is 6,100. He has a 27-pointer this season, and he's had a lot of opportunities for bigger games than that. Uh, Terry McLaurin is capable of putting up 20, 28 to 30 points. He's 5,600. So, like, there are guys in this 5K range who can get you 30 points. And so I think that one of the mistakes that people can make is focusing too much on, like, the, the total stars and scrubs type build because it puts a lot of pressure on the stars to not just get 30 points but to get up to, like, the 35, 40-point yeah. range. And it puts a lot of pressure on the scrubs to get up to 20 points, which isn't going to happen as often as as it will with, you know, other price ranges. But I love building rosters like this because it helps you see what's possible on a slate. Um, and then you can kind of start – then we don't – we don't want to be too salary optimal where we're like, okay, we fit in these cheap guys. So we can fit in these high priced guys. But if the high priced guys are high priced for a reason and they're capable of putting up 40 points, uh, it becomes very interesting to play around with stuff like this and then also play around with other roster construction approaches beyond that. So uh, yeah, really like this starting point on the week. Obviously we didn't really talk a ton about this Dallas and Philadelphia game, but it's kind of one of those where it's like, could it be low scoring or moderate scoring? Yes. And at the price tags, moderate scoring is the equivalent of low scoring, right? If it's a moderate scoring game and you're paying up for AJ Brown and CD lamb and Jalen hurts, like it's Tony ball, like that's hurting you, yeah. but it's also possible that it's high scoring. And so we want to play around with those scenarios because it could be the only high scoring game on the slate if it is high scoring. So uh, yeah, it's a fun week to play around with. It's a fun week to sort of ask that question of like what players are capable of separating what teams are capable of separating, what games are capable of separating, this very much being one of the games that can separate. So uh, glad we started out here. Keegan, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Nope. All right. Uh, as always, viewers, listeners, thanks for hanging out. Uh, if you are watching this and you're not an OWS member, just a heads up, there's a ton of free stuff on OWS, including all of our game breakdowns, um, some of our late week strategy content, um, the cheat sheet, the around the industry cheat sheet, which is where we have like five tiers of players. And we have people from like, uh, really sharp DFS players and, and content providers from lots of different sites, from CBS, from Roto grinders, from, uh, run pure sports, from a bunch of different sites. They contribute their answers to these questions. Uh, also the workbook, which is just like a deep dive research piece 
is also free on OWS. So uh, yeah, check out OWS throughout the week, kind of do some of your research there. You'll find a lot of cool stuff there uh, for free. With that, we will see you, uh, Keegan, I'll see you tomorrow, Friday morning, when we record our second DFS Lab. It'll be live on YouTube Friday night or Saturday morning. Uh, we will see you back here for that. We will see you on the site throughout the weekend, and we will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday.